Hey, welcome to Coffee with the Coach, and this is Jeff Reinbold and my buddy, Magic Mike. And Magic Mike's a little bit uh, worse for wear. I heard you guys uh, have a, <laughs> had a little staff meeting the other day, and uh, and a and a and a beer festival broke out. <laughs> I don't know who's told you this. We're fine. We were having a meeting ahead of the season, which starts in well. Like seventy or dead man, we're so close. Like the next time, like the next time your show comes out, we're one month from football. Can you believe it? Because it seems like yesterday we were speaking the Friday after the Super Bowl, and we're like, "What are we going to do for the next seven months?" But we're uh, yes, we're very close. We had a lovely time in Dublin, and uh, thank you for facetiming us uh, as well. I, I, I was, you know, what was I tried was I wanted you to get the waiter because I wanted you to buy. I wanted to buy you guys around from from all the way across the ocean. But uh, we weren't able to get that done. There weren't any waiters outside. But hey, uh, let me ask you a question about that meeting, right? I hmm. saw, I saw a lot of beer glasses in front of you, but I didn't see anybody who was taking notes or anybody. <laughs> what kind of meeting is that? An Irish meeting? <laughs> You'll find out in September when we're you know kicking off the new season, I guess. But uh, yeah, it was a good meeting. Uh, a lot of discussion was had about. Um, you know, field goals, the, the, the new rules coming into the season, television, etc. So a very good meeting, uh, but we're here now. And it's Sunday. I, 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 have you been enjoying the Euros, Jeff? I have, been, uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed the Euros. And hey, how about my Italians, right? They, they, Austria, I thought Austria played their skin off. But I don't they, want anybody, you see anybody that isn't an NFL fan, I don't want anybody to ever say to me from now on, oh, the NFL is bored or something like that there. That game last night until that goal went in was one of the worst games I have ever as a football fan or soccer fan watched in my life. No, look, it's good for Italy, but I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this and put you on the spot because I, I don't have to answer. Is it coming home, Jeff? England against Germany on Tuesday? God, I, would, I would love for that to be the case. I just, the thing about, you know, and again, I got to say this, I don't know anything about soccer. I don't. I don't know if the ball's got air or feathers in it. I really don't. But I watch athletes and I see England is so much better. Like, for example, the last game they played, was it Czech Republic or whoever they played? I can't remember. Czech Republic, yeah. Yeah. They were so much better athletically at almost every position than the, than the opposition, you know. And, and I don't know the strategic parts of the game enough to be able to comment on that. But I just think that they don't, for whatever reason, they don't play as big or as athletic as they should play. Because, man, you watch some of those guys – just are really, really incredible players. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. My choice, or my choice, not my choice, but the team that I think is going to win is going to be France. But are the Danes for real? That's the that's the one that's capturing everybody's you know attention over here. We're going to find out soon enough. And the good thing about next week is, and Jeff, we'll, we'll make a little announcement maybe during the week. There's no football or there's 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 no Euro soccer on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before the quarterfinals start of the weekend. So we'll try and jump in an episode there, maybe in in, in those days. But talking about England, Germany, you've got a big German to kick the show off, haven't you? Yeah, one of the biggest Germans, six eight. That's good, yeah. Six eight, yeah, that's is very good. <laughs> uh, um, when Sebastian Vollmer played, he was six eight. I think his heaviest he got around three forty five. When you see the guy today. He's obviously not lost any of his height. He's still 6'8", but he's about 255 pounds and has really done a great job of taking care of himself. Uh, father of three kids, tremendous, tremendous guy, and really a great guy. To, he's going to talk a lot about the Patriots, about a, his Patriot experience, uh, about Tom Brady, 
you're gonna, I think your, your fans are gonna really enjoy listening to Sebastian. And we're gonna take a little bitty tour of Germany. And he's gonna take us through the cities that are lined up to bid to host an NFL game. So you as an NFL fan there, Michael, and you and me might be sitting, you know, at some beer hall having a beer next next fall uh, if the NFL is successful and, and uh, expands to Germany too. I can't wait. And look, if, if any country deserves a game, you know, after the games in London as well, it's it's Germany. And I think for us, it's a win-win. We get to go to hopefully four games in London and a game in Germany. I mean, my wife will never see me from October to November, but I'll be happy enough and uh, it'll be good. We've also got another guy on as well, haven't we? Uh, By- Byron Chamberlain. Byron Chamberlain, two-time Super Bowl winner for the Denver Broncos, was a Pro Bowl tight end. And he's on, and he's going to talk a lot about his career, about what made those Bronco teams so special. And, you know, it's really interesting, and I know you as a Bronco fan will appreciate, appreciate this. Uh, you know, listen to what he says when we ask him about where that those two Bronco teams that went back-to-back, where they should, you know, rest in Super Bowl history. And, and I think it's really an, an inter- interesting story. And his story about putting his locker – next to Shannon Sharp is an all-time classic. So tune in or stay with us for the second half of the show. And that, Mikey, let's get going. It's uh, it's awesome to be show number 55. Man, oh man, thank you to the tribe for making this happen. Uh, it gets big, bigger and better every week we do it. Yeah, and we're hoping to go out live again in the next few weeks, maybe towards the start of the season. But for now, here is Sebastian Vollmer. We are doing the double nickel today, 55 shows, 55 times we've come at you. And we got a little, uh, we got a little special treat for you today. Uh, man behind the beard and underneath the baseball cap, doing his best to be incognito, is ex-New England Patriots Super Bowl winner, Pro Bowler, uh, John Madden Ultimate Protectors team, I, that's, which is a huge honor, by the way, Sebastian. Uh, all, all, all done by a young guy who uh, started playing this game uh, at the local level in Karst, Germany, and rose through the levels of football to go to the University of Houston and then be drafted in the second round by the New England Patriots, Sebastian Vollmer. Welcome to the show, Sebastian. Yo, appreciate it. Didn't know I'm a special guest here. 55 already? Come 55, on. my man. Hey, hey speaking of right. which, I, I was going to ask you this right. question. It popped in my brain last night which is a scary thing, but um, who's the best number 55 you ever had as a teammate? Who's the best Junior player who wore 55? Uh, junior Seau. Junior Seau. Okay, tell me, the, tell me a great Junior Seau story. Number 55, the best 55 you ever played with. So, obviously, he was with the Patriots, left. Well, I mean, you know, towards the end of his career, came to the Patriots, left again, and came back. So, that's when I was in. I think I was a rookie. It might have been my, my second year. So, this guy has played at that point in the league for, like, 20 years, 19 years, whatever it was. So, he shows back up. And, I mean, it's that immediate, like, the way he carries himself, right? Like, I mean, he goes right back in with the speeches, the pregame, the postgame, and all that. And then he had this phrase, right? And it was always buddy or buddy, buddy. All, people always say, hey, because your buddy, you know, he actually likes you. Because your buddy, buddy, it's like, eh, well, maybe not so much. I don't know. 
My theory is, because I noticed it, I mean, the football team has a lot of people going through the building, right? At some point, I think everybody, hey, buddy, because you have no idea who that guy is. Especially a bunch of rookies walking around, a bunch of practice waters, and, you know, this guy's been in the league for 20 years. So, like, yeah, you'd be gone in three weeks. I've been around for 20. But he was just such a guy. I mean, he was, like, so I was a guy to pride himself to be in the locker room at 5 a.m., right? So you walk in there, and he is, like, done with the sauna, working out, running. He's playing his ukulele in a, in a, in a corner somewhere. And it's just, like, smiling, having a good day. And just, like, man, I mean, that guy got to figure out. You know what? It's it's amazing you bring him up because I had a chance to get to know him, Sebastian. And what a wonderful human being. I mean, maybe maybe one of the nicest guys you'd ever mm-hmm. want to meet. And just such a tragic way for him to leave the world. And one that frankly surprised a lot of us who never, ever saw that coming. Junior was such so good at creating that everything's okay Polynesian facade but he was really, really struggling with a lot of things in his life. And it was really sad to see, see that end the way it ended. Yeah. I mean, again, it was my rookie year and I used to have so much respect for the older players. I really, I can't say I knew him well, um, but he did make an impact in the short time. He was there for me. Um, like I was saying, I mean, it's, it's a, and then the impact. So obviously he didn't start his career with the Patriots, but the impact after his death, I mean, you know, Bill flew out. I mean, it sent shockwaves at a meeting about it. And I mean, it's, um, I mean, death always, always tragic, um, but he certainly left an impact on a lot of people in and around the league. All right, tell me about that when you, when you're a young kid, you know, you drafted in the second round, so obviously they think you can play, right? They don't draft yeah. second, they don't, well, they don't draft second rounders on a flyer. But well, you, I, don't, I don't think Bill said that because he was like, <laughs> I remember him drafting me, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm so excited. Yeah, you suck. I was like. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm really excited. <laughs> to you got, you got, you got a long way to go, buddy. Went, God, okay. I, it, wait you know, a second. I, I wait did, a second now. Sorry. Wait a second now. When he called you to tell oh, you yeah. he was you you were picked in the second round. What? Were, how many guys were picked? 50, 60 maybe. In, in I was picked fifty six, I believe. Fifty six oh, or fifty nine. Okay. Can't remember. Fifty six of all the players in the draft, you get picked, right? And he calls you up. Nice. He's, 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 he's like, you got a long way to go, kid. That's it. I mean, I mean, now looking back, the typical, like, you know, Patriots thing was like, ah, oh, we drafted him in the second round. He probably wasn't thinking he's going the second round. Let's make sure he doesn't get, you know, big head. And, and I don't think, to be honest with you, I mean, you saw me play. I don't think I had to figure out back then. Well, not that I figured <laughs> out now. Got to wheeze my way through. But, I mean, it worked out. And, and I'm, I'm certainly thankful for the for him and the, uh, the whole organization. But it's – uh. It's an eye-opener coming from college to the league, no doubt. You know what? Julian Edelman told me that uh, when when he got drafted, which he was drafted late, seventh round, I think, and and he was a quarterback at at Kent State, and the Patriots call him and say, uh, you know, kind of the same way, kind of low-key, well, you know, we don't know what you are, but we think you're a football player. So, you know, it's just it wasn't exactly like they were pumping his tires. I don't think we had a strong draft class now that I think about it. Oh, nine. We had 12 guys, I believe. We had four guys in the second round. Um, Chong, obviously, it's still playing. I mean, uh, um, panned out really well. We had Ron Brace, Darius Butler, and me in the second round. We had, um, I was thinking of who's still around. Julian, well, until recently, in the seventh round. And then, uh, just thinking about it. Anyways, we had a lot of guys, but. They weeded us out pretty quick too. I was like, eh, nah. 
That was a strong you guys, team still. Yeah, you guys were a good football team that you were going into. Right. Who did you did did when you when you first um when you first went into the old line room, right? Yeah. Who was the alpha dog in the old line room back in those days? Matt Light. Was he? Well, I, well, they, depends on your definition of alpha, the loudest, certainly Matt Light. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was a tackle, so I oriented myself on him, tried to emulate his style and all that stuff. But I mean, we had Logan Menkins, um, to me, one of the best guards has ever played. He uh, just very quiet guy, but on the field, that's not a guy you want to mess with. He was just such a, I mean, just a, really like a, like a quiet leader. Um, but as a rookie, it's like, I came in, and I think it was the eighth tackle. We had like 18 guys in a room. And, and then we wait, told whoa, whoa, whoa. wait, 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 you're a second round draft pick and you're the eighth tackle? You know how he rolls. So he puts the depth chart on the on the on the board, and it's like I mean every every name is in front of me. I'm just like, okay, you got three weeks to make this thing, <laughs> and then you know. But every day you kind of try to you know make your way up there, and they cut other guys and just turn us up. I was gonna say, well, t- take us through the the emotional side of what it's like when you are looking at that depth chart, and every day that somebody's not there or you move up ahead of a guy or somebody moves ahead of you, what that does to you mentally and, and how you able to keep your focus with all that going on. For me, I think it's always the same thing. At least for me, it was. So coming into where you saw me play in Dusseldorf, I mean, I came in, I had no idea what I was doing. So you kind of work your way up there and then you go to college. Then you think you have it figured out, you know, I mean, we played together in the, or you coached me in the um, European all-star team and stuff. So you feel like you got to figure it out. But well, then you go to college and be like, okay, I weigh 220 pounds. And all the alignment are 300. I got a way to go. Then um, then you make it to the league and yeah, kind of like the same thing. You're about the size, you got the strength, but you don't have it figured out. I mean, all of a sudden you got the, you know, the Dwight Freenies, the junior sales, the, you know, you name it. All of a sudden they're coming after you. So um, I think as a rookie, that's okay. Like, I don't think personally, it's the best thing that can happen. You got to, got to earn your spot. You know, you're not just given just because, you know, they draft you in the first, second, third round, whatever it is. You work your way up, you make it. I think for the veteran, though, having that rookie coming up behind you and you see him every day, like kind of jumping the spot and coming after you, I think that could be a little bit of a um, of an issue if you don't have the self-confidence. So I think that depends on the player. But, I mean, in the end, I don't think you can concentrate on the other guys. I mean, you, you practice against yourself kind of thing. you gotta got to get better. All right, now. I've seen this happen so many times and I wondered if it happened to you where you have that aha moment where mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, um, the line coach has been on your ass. You're, you've gotten beat. You, you, you know, again, you told me about freely putting the spin move on you the first oh, time yeah. you played, <laughs> but yeah. that moment when I can do this, I belong here. I know I can, I'm good enough. Uh, so I don't think I ever went in thinking I'm not good enough. Um, it was more, so I always had the same motto. I was okay with making a mistake, but I was not okay with making it twice. Right. But like, it was kind of part of the learning experience. Obviously don't want to make it, but you know, it's also realistically, there are going to be some issues to got to work out. And, um, so I knew, so by the time the season started, I was the third tackle, the backup guy, whatever, the swing tackle. But it was good enough for them to create packages. Like I was a tight end, get me in, big packages, you know, all those things, um, which really helped. But then Matt Light blew out his knee, well, dislocated his kneecap, and he was out for a few weeks. And that was the 
the first one was Vandenbosch against uh, was the throwback game uh, against Tennessee. And there, I felt pretty good. I had a little help because we had a snowstorm in October, um, which then I didn't really, never played in the snow before, but it really helps an <laughs> offensive lineman. I mean, Fatty know, knows where you got to go. Um, you know, defensive end, obviously struggling. It's like kind of, you know, pig on ice. And the next game was against Freeney. And I did pretty well. Um, however, you got to say, obviously, you have Brady that stands at, you know, six, seven, eight yards. It's not at 11, 12, like other quarterbacks. I had a Logan Mankins next to me that helped on the inside. So all I had to do is, like, don't get run over and don't let him beat you at six yards. Uh, there were still some situations where, like I was saying, double spin move, just like, oh, whatever. And just like, turn on, dumb. But again, like, he had like four sacks the week before. And then um, against, he di- against us, he didn't have a sack. So those things that kind of give you confidence. And then you roll into the season. And then, so Matt came back. And um, I remember then Scar essentially came up to me and was like, okay, you're not playing left tackle, but from now on, you're going to be the starting right tackle. And then, the former starter kind of got the boot, which is always a weird situation, especially because he took me under his wing a little bit, well, not a little bit, quite a bit. And so you're taking somebody's job and, you know, the year after that he was cut and got hurt and all those things. Um, but that's kind of where I felt like it was pretty good. And then I made, I think, second team all pro my second year where I felt like I kind of hang, hang here. All right. Now, Scar, mm-hmm. Dante Scarnecchia, your offensive line coach, one of the greatest that ever coached. Hold up. I don't know how. I mean, he was in New England for how many years? Because he went through coach after head coach after head coach and was able to stay because it's so well respected. Well, he stayed there. And then I think he went to Indianapolis for like two years and then came back. I mean, it must have been. I think he went with Meyer for a couple of years to Indianapolis and then came back. I mean, around 40. I, I don't know. But I mean, it's 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 the craziest thing in the world. It's the longest NFL tenure I, I can remember. Even some of those old cowboy yeah. guys. Uh, he, he, he stayed longer than that. What made him so unique, so good, Sebastian? Attention to detail. So um, there's another thing, which as a player can get quite annoying because you feel like, uh, what is he harping on? I mean, we're talking about inches. We're talking about like really millimeters. Okay, your hands are not right. Okay, you're a little slow at your stance. Uh, look how your knee is flaring out. Whatever it is, really minute things in the moment. And what I early on, what I didn't understand is, and Bill makes that clear pretty well as well. Let's say, so I remember we beat that game I was talking to you about uh, against Tennessee. We beat them right. 59 nothing. And me and Logan made a call where we changed the blocking scheme. So I pulled behind them, like Logan blocked out the defensive end. I pulled behind him, got his uh, linebacker. And Lawrence Maroney scored a but 60, 70 yard running touchdown. And we are all like hyped and, you know, hey, we made the right call, everything great, blah, blah. We're going to sideline, and I mean, we get verbally assaulted because this was not the program. This is not by Bill or uh, by by Scar. By Scar. By Scar. You know, and I mean, Bill later on, but he wasn't probably worried about the offensive lineman in that moment. But we made a call which wasn't allowed in that moment. But I mean, the thought process behind it, though, is I think with the next week against uh, Indianapolis, that's not going to work. Like stick to the script. Don't like do stuff on the fly because this can go into, uh, now I'm going to do that. Or now I'm going to pull, now I'm going to, whatever it is. And I, back then in my rookie, I didn't understand it. And then you kind of grow with the situation. And he is so good at not letting little things become big things. And every year you start over with my new things. He treats you like a rookie as, and he explains every play, every technique. I mean, we talking about how you stand right at the huddle. How you 
how the play call goes, how, what is a play action? I, I mean, it's the whole thing. And like he said one time, I was like, if one veteran, if it makes click for one play in one situation, because I've been doing this a hundred times to you, it's worth it. So you start over. There's never anything is being skipped. Um, and he truly, it's tough, it's tough to play for him. There's no doubt about that. But he truly made me the best player I could have possibly been. I mean, no doubt about it. There, there got to be so much appreciation for that man. All right. Now, did you ever teach him any German words? Um, probably things I mumbled under my breath. You know, picked up on the side. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, you know, nothing officially. Yeah. Oh, uh, that is funny. Uh, you know, because uh, Seabass's school of German is one of the uh-huh. all-time great ones. Now, how many how many guys did you actually put through school? Did, could, could you get? I saw Brady's, and that was priceless. Yeah. Fans, go to YouTube and go to Seabass's School of German, and it is absolutely hilarious. How did that come about? It was when you were hurt, right? Correct. It was my last year. Actually, I was injured reserve, and I was like, "Well, I got nothing else to do." So we uh, came up. Well, I take that back. I did that in college at U of H before, and I kind of died down, and then. Honestly, it was kind of like a um, an NFL thing, um, and then we just asked a couple of guys, and you know, all Thomas. I mean, he's such a like awesome, super dude. Like you ask him something, and he will do whatever you know, whatever he can do to help you. I mean, he's one of the most amazing guys I've ever met. So he was the first guy who did it, and he was great at it. And I mean, there was one situation which wasn't actually the funny part, but I'm shown in a play which I hadn't seen before either. So we both wanted to be spontaneous. I'm showing this play against Miami, and he's like, oh, I remember that. And I was like, hey, yeah, whatever. So and I promise, I have not shown it to him. And he's like, yeah, well, it's third quarter, second play. I'm going to throw this to Wes, and he's going to do it. And I'm like, what? But anyways, but his, I blew my mind, just the, the memory of, and it's a couple of years ago. It wasn't like, a, you know, it just happened last week. Just the memory and football understanding and situationally awareness he brings to the team. Unbelievable. But anyway, so. Uh, so we asked a few guys, and Julian was one of them. Danny was great, Amendola. Uh, and then we did a group of them, like Patrick Chung was there, and uh, we probably did, I don't know, 10, 15 guys, and they were all pretty pretty great. I'm telling you, fans, you got to check it out because it is it is priceless. You will laugh forever. All right, now, I want to talk about the Patriots a little bit because we got so all many right. Patriot, Patriots fans that listen. One of the things that, you know, it, it, always there's turnover in football. That's the way it is. No two, no two teams are ever the same year for year. Uh, but there's a, there's a guy that has decided to call it quits in New England that has been in the shadows his entire time. And I think he's been there with Bill the entire time, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Mm-hmm. And do, do you want to talk about Ernie and what his role is and what you guys thought as players? Because it, it's really – fascinating to me so he is or was truly a man in the shadows like i don't think like he he was around kind of really nobody knew what he was really doing kind of thing it was always a little wouldn't say it was secretive but he certainly had his own way of doing stuff where he really came into the picture for the players was on fridays so you know you you get your installs wednesday thursday and friday is the uh, like red zone red area deal and he would put he was in charge of the scout team. So he would pick the what a scout team offense and defensive players. So for me, interestingly, obviously was the um, was the defense. But he would pick plays, not just let's say we play uh, whoever, Miami. They wouldn't he wouldn't pick the plays they did last week. They would go, okay, this college coach, his brother-in-law, his 
friend coaches at this high school and they ran the wishbone. I don't know. So he would come up with the craziest potential plays we could, you know, could ever see. And he would line them up against our place where you really had to think quick and hard. Chance of that actually happening were so minute. But he still wanted to see if he can, you know, A, figure it out, if he can think on our feet. And if it does happen, he wanted us to be prepared, obviously. So he would try to get the hardest plays lined up against our best plays and kind of see if we can, we can still score. Okay, now I have been told that the Butler play on the goal line against Seattle, he had done that against Malcolm on Friday before the game in red zone period. And actually they scored a touchdown on it. The scout team scored a touchdown on it, but it was a play that Seattle hadn't run, but he said, you got to be alert for the vertical and the under. And that was when he stepped in front and made that interception. That's an incredible incredible story inside the Patriots the way they do things on Friday what what you know Rob Ryan said to me that he would go into Ernie's Ernie's office and Ernie would shut his computer because he didn't want him to see what was in there I mean it, the guy was like he, he was uh like a savant like and he and Bill go back a long long way correct I think they went to college together I think they might have been college roommates or at least good friends and he has been around and I mean, he made the, the, it was a big part of the Patriots success, no doubt. Like he was so prepared. He knew everything about, he kind of was involved. Now Bill says that he was involved in any and every aspect of the Patriots organization, really from um, uh, scouting to player evaluations to the place I was just talking about. He was, uh, I think like Bill's confidant as in let's run things by him, kind of, kind of see what he thinks. And he was truly, I think like a football mastermind. He was just not as in the press and everything like Bill, but I think they both really played well off of each other and made a great team, no doubt. How big a loss do you think that's going to be that he, he would lose a guy who's been a confidant for him for so many years? Try to assume, I mean, that's the way, well, I don't know. It, Bill is Bill, so I think he gets away with, well, gets away, that's probably the wrong term, but he can adjust so well to any in other situations like i've never seen him not that he would like confine him or anything but i've never seen him say oh man you know dwelling on the past i think it's truly that it is what it is like i mean well he's he's gone um oh, i gotta figure that out you know wait a second wait a second we're on to cincinnati is legit it's not oh, just oh, a, oh, no doubt no it, doubt i mean i think it, that's the way he that's the way he lives his life that's the way he coaches that you were on to the next thing yeah i mean there's certainly lessons to be learned but i mean once they are learned once they are analyzed and, and, and all those things. I mean, you move on. What does it, it only steals energy. Like if you're sitting there three weeks later and be like, well, we should have done this and that. Well, we didn't. So if we're playing them again, we will. But I mean, you're moving on. Um, so the Mondays, so Sunday, let's say we play Sunday. Sunday night is certainly tough for coaches. I mean, you know that. They they, they evaluate, they, they grade, they, you know, all that stuff. But I mean, the next game is coming. So that that, that, that sand clock is, 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 is ticking. It's, it's, you know, I mean, you gotta, gotta have seven days. You gotta get prepared. So. Monday, you already got to prepare for the next opponent. So most of the time, I remember like on away games, say you fly out Saturday and you play opponent A on Sunday. On those um, flights, they would already prepare for the opponent for the next week. So mentally, they got to be able to shift back and forth just because you don't have enough time um, or they want to be prepared enough and they don't want to waste time to sit in and watch a movie. Okay, now take us inside the, the, the Citadel known as, you know, Patriot Kingdom. Right. And, and 
And I have been told by a kid, uh, do you remember Jake Ingram, the long snapper yeah. that you guys had? Okay, uh -huh. Jake uh -huh. Jake played for me at the University of Hawaii. He's one of my favorite kids. I loved him. And uh, I came down to see you guys play the Texans in uh, the, the game that Wes Welker got hurt, yeah. right, down in, yeah. down in Houston. So I'm waiting for Jake after the game, and he comes out, typical Jake. He's got – everybody's got great-looking suits and, you know – diamonds on also he's got a hoodie on and a surf shirt and yep. but I, I i i asked him i said how you doing and he goes i hate it i said what he goes i hate it i hate this i hate pro football and here was a kid that loved football i mean he's a walk-on at the university yep. of hawaii that worked him worked his way into getting drafted and become the long snapper for the patriots and all stuff but he said the grind the mental grind the constant being tested uh mm -hmm. he, he talked about belichick he'd be snapping the ball before practice and belichick would walk over with a water bottle and all of a sudden just pour water yep. on the ball to make him yep. snap a wet ball or he put him he, he'd ask him a, uh, he said he you'd get asked questions in a team meeting and you better have the answer because he would just embarrass you in front of your teammates if you didn't have the answer especially as a rookie is, is, did you experience any of that 100 percent true um, but I think it's about your own attitude. He makes you better. So now if you analyze what he just said, yes, let's say you play in the summer in New England. Let's say it doesn't rain a lot. He doesn't want his rookie long snapper to go into a game and never have him snap the ball in the rain. Well, how do you simulate rain? We'll get the ball wet. So, and now it's actually doing him a favor. He's doing it pre-practice, not when the entire team is watching you, um, doing it, doing whatever pun, and you missed the, missed the snap. So, I mean, it's not like he's, he's out there to embarrass you or make you cry or anything. I mean, he's a good coach trying to make you better. It's tough, no doubt. I mean, it's pro football. It's, it's uh, I don't know, 1,500 athletes that are the best in the world in, in that sport. Well, I mean, competition is high. and I mean, you coach in college, so or CFL, wherever. I think there's a lot of guys that probably want to take your spot and are willing to go through that. So I think it's, a, it's an attitude thing, but it is tough. It's the league. I think it's... Um, the competition is high and, 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 and they make you better. And, you know, I think, you know, iron sharpens iron. I think that the tougher the situation, we always said though, um, he wants to make practice harder than the actual game. So games are almost relaxing. It's like, well, I've been there. I've done that. Well, I, I've snapped I, the ball. All right. Now that, okay. Now that's, that's a great question. How does he do that though? Not just physically harder, but they got to be mentally harder too, right? you got to adjust faster. You got that way. Correct, but for example, uh, I remember we played um, Indianapolis and we played um, uh, Freeney on one side and Robert Mathis on the other. You know, both extremely quick, probably at that point at least, the quickest off the ball. I mean, extremely talented defensive ends. And what he would do, he would line up the scout team offside. Offside? Which, I mean, it's tough. I mean, there's still... Yeah, you come out, it's like a scout team, all that stuff. No, they're still NFL players. They can run. They, they can rush. And now give them an extra yard, and I'm attacking <laughs> or trying to get by them. And you, you go into, like, run mode. And then you get criticized on your technique. I'm like, yeah, the guy has passed by me already um, in his lineup. But those things, yeah, it's tougher. Like, so you kind of get in the feel of, man, they, this guy's unblockable. But when you get into the game, obviously he's not superhuman, so he's not going to run, you know, 3-9 uh, on his 40 dash. So – He's just trying to over-prepare you for those situations. And, I mean, the Freeney and Mathis, they can run. I mean, they're still going to beat you, but you, <laughs> you, you try. You try your best to hang on there. Try to be All, right. All right. Now, 
you talked about what a great guy Tom was, right? Mm -hmm. And what a great teammate he was. Were you surprised at all by the F-bombs that he got credited with last week in the article that came out about some, I don't know, what, what team it was that, uh, yeah. that didn't want it? Were you surprised by that? Um, he is one of the, he's like the most passionate, emotional, invested guy in the sport, in his teammates, in, in all of it. He knows he's good. I mean, obviously he is. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He, and he, he can win. So, I mean, I get it. I mean, but he's also human. I mean, you know, I don't think he, he curses. He goes through the street and curses all the time. But, I mean, it slips. You know, but, and he's, again, he's passionate about it. He, he, he knows he can deliver. And I think the, the great, I think they're great football players. And they are the greats of the great. And he's yeah. obviously, he's, he's there. And I think that's what is one of the things that drives him is to, but, uh, you know, he doesn't forget that he, you know, was no. drafted where he was drafted and was looked at that we was looked at. Hey, um, yeah. uh, when you when you uh, think about him, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing this at practice one, one time. He I, he threw and hit a receiver right in the back of the helmet, right? The guy, two came off the front side, and he's hot to that receiver, and the receiver didn't look. So Tom yeah. just threw it and drilled him right in the back of the head with the ball. And he gave that kid the, I mean, you talk about the stink eye, like they say back in Hawaii, you know, they talk about the stink eye when, when somebody does something wrong to you. I, I was like, Ooh, that kid better learn right quick. I mean, he was tough on his, on his guys too. He expect, I same. I mean, I remember like in practice, some guy like drove me back a little bit and I mean, he calls you out on it. I was like, be a man, like stand up for yourself, whatever it is. I'm just, oh gosh, like, you're like, but you don't always say like, he, he made me better because I know with him in there or back there, I know we can win. If I do my job, if all, if 10 of us do a job, you don't have to worry about that guy. He will deliver. Yeah. So if you give him a chance to throw the ball, if you do your hot rod right, if you block the guy, if you do, you know, whatever it is, I mean, I think it's close to 100% that you're going to win. It's mostly the other guys. Sure, he might have an off day here and there, but most of the time he does not. And don't just don't be the guy. Don't be the guy that causes him not to deliver the ball. You know what? That's interesting you say that because I've been really fortunate, Sebastian, to coach on teams with five different Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, right? Five of them. And I remember Doug Flutie was yeah. that way. Like everybody knew as long as you did your job, Doug could make a – no matter what the score was – no matter what yep. the situation was, no matter what the down and distance, Doug could make a play to help us win. But you had to do your job. And when you get that mentality, that's really something special. That's when a team can really, really be good. So you go into any, so the same like the Super Bowl, the one you mentioned earlier, but Seattle, like we were back. And it's like he walks in, and was like, all right, let's do it. And you're like, all right. If he says so, let's do it. And that's just how it's going to be. Hey, now, uh, you saw them this offseason do some things that are not, mm -hmm. quote, Patriot-like. They moved up in the draft, you know, to get a quarterback. They spent a lot of money in free agency, which has never been their thing. Um, and interestingly enough, you saw guys like Van Noy, who left for a big payday, come back to New England. Were you surprised by the way they handled the offseason? No, I think, and I mean, again, I'm not a GM and what do I know, but I think they did it exactly right. I mean, you lost the all-time great. We just talked about Brady, how great he is and what he does to other players in a good way. Now you don't have him anymore. 
And nothing against Cam Newton or Matt, whoever's going to be in there, but it's hard to replace a guy like Tom. And I've been with him on teams where there were a lot of guys, you know, that he made so much better. Like he is a quarterback that makes you as a lineman, receiver, running back, whatever it is, he makes you better. But so if you, so you don't have to spend that money on the offense. So that's what I'm saying. So you pay perhaps the greatest quarterback ever, a marginal relatively uh, salary, and you can spend the money as well or save it. But now you don't have that. So you need the elite guys. But I think Bill's going back to like how he won in the past, have a great defense, low scoring game, game manager, and be good enough kind of thing. So you don't have to be, Tom, bail me out here. It's more like, okay, I might get See, that, score that 14 is, points and you win. Yeah, and I think that's the mark of a great coach, when you can do it different ways with yeah. different people. And obviously, I think, you know, again, you know him much better than I know him. But certainly, I think his competitive nature, his fire, his, his belief in the process and what, what they do, I really think they're going to make a jump this year. I think they're, I think anybody that's, you know, counting them out and saying they're, they're going to be the third or fourth team in that division or whatever, they got to, got to rethink it. Cause I think that's going to be a good football team. I don't think you can ever count or bet against bill. Same. I always say, don't, don't bet against Tom. Don't bet against bill either. I mean, that, that man has, I was fortunate enough just to play under him as a pro at least. Uh, but it's hard for me to imagine that, there are a lot of other guys out there that know more can adjust better to a game than he can. I mean, we have been in games where, I mean, the entire game plan is not working the first half. It's like, well, we got 12 minutes to figure this, figure this out. They talk it over to figure out an entire new game plan. And this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. And, and you turn it around. It's not like there's so many times where, I don't know, you know exactly what your opponent is going to do because that's what they do. They play three, four, four, three, whatever it is. And I mean, they blitz, 30% of the time, and that's the trade. I mean, it's just their, their way of winning, which is great. It might work. Bill, I think it's different. He was like, what do I need to do in order to beat them? And I will adjust to that. He's never the same. So as a player, you got to be flexible. But he is, um, I think they, again, I think they're going to have a great defense. I think with Hightower being back, I think that helps a lot. He's such a force, you know, in the middle of the defense and such a leader. Over Chung. Chung, him. I mean, the, 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 you can't forget the players that opted out last year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. from the get go, I think true. it was six starters that, I mean, it's half your football team. Yeah. Not really, but I mean, it's, there's a lot of leaders, pro bowlers, et cetera, that, that just weren't there. I mean, that's an impact you can't replace. I mean, that happens right before training camp. And it's like, oh, well, roster set. So, I mean, that, that certainly hurt him. And then, um, and who knows? I mean, I think the quarterback, if, let's say, assume that Cam is in there, I think he will be better because um, he's been in the system for longer. Um, I think they, know each other better all those things and who knows i mean maybe maybe um they get a rookie quarterback in there as well who knows but i think they're gonna be a good good team as well all right i want to i want to go uh switch gears on you here a little bit and go to something that's uh you know it's tough it's a tough situation to talk about tough tough uh topic to talk about but it's something to talk about because it is it's a reality of what everybody that plays the game at particularly at the highest level and as long as you did uh you know needs to take a look at there was a there was a a study done uh, and it was printed in new in the new york times i think today it came out they, they studied 111 brains of ex-nfl football players 110 of them had evidence of cte in in the uh, examination H how have you addressed that in your own life sebastian and you know with your own 
health long-term and all that. You've done a great job. How much weight have you lost? You lost, what, 60, 70 pounds? Yeah. Uh, I mean, at my heaviest, I was close to 340 pounds. I'm hovering 255 to 60 right now. So I mean, you look absolutely fantastic. I appreciate, you, appreciate you, look it. Like, you look like an underwear model, but I mean... <laughs> The, the, yeah, you don't want to see me in a speedo. That's not a thing. <laughs> you know, well, I know you were in Germany last week, so you probably broke it out. But you know what I'm saying? You, you've done a great job of getting, you know, getting your weight back where it needs to be and, yep. and take, eating yep. right and taking care. Are you doing, are, is there anything you guys do to, t- you know, look out for your, for your brain, for your gray matter? So um, one thing to the study, and I don't know if that's the same study, but there had been a study before kind of the same results and maybe it's the same one they're talking about. Um, so to the public, obviously that sounds very dramatic and I think it is. So I don't think you can play this down by any means. However, I think the one thing that needs to be said is that those brains, as far as I know, are being um, um, given to study by the wives, kids, wh- whomever, but those, um, they have a reason. So it is probably they already knew something was going on. That man has changed. He played football, all those things. Now he has passed. Let's, let's, let's confirm my, um, my fear that he had CTE and he wasn't a man he once was. Yeah. The chances of somebody donating a healthy brain are probably very slim. So I think that most of ah, those brains, they already knew that something was going on. They kind of got confirmation. Um, right. So I think this just needs to be mentioned. I'm not trying to play this down because it is a real risk and it's and it's real. And any contact sport and football, certainly one of them, um, has a risk. So just to your question, I think yes. Yeah. So physically, obviously, we talk about it all the time as a player, you know, because you break legs, ligaments, all those things. Um, you have arthritis. You got to take care of that. For me, I think it's probably not the healthiest way to rock around at 340, 350. I mean, I'm six eight. Um, there's no need for me to huff and puff up going up and down the stairs or trying to get my daughter or back then at least out of a crib and you know it can't bend over because your back is certain all those things so first thing first was lose weight like just kind of get it to a somewhat normal level diet changes definitely and i think the diet changes not only physically helped me but also mentally from the um you know your fish oils or your your, your healthy fats um the anti-inflammatories for your brains for your brain and they, they, they certainly help. Um, I think I was fortunate and who knows what happens in 20 years. I feel fine. I feel great, but I was so tall and we played a lot of pass, pass protection where I didn't get a lot of bull rushes. There wasn't a lot of, um, head to head trauma for me. I had a concussion, but still there is, um, there's certainly some that have it worse, I would say. But I also feel you cannot live in fear what might happen in five years, what might happen in 10 years, because, well, you've ruined your presence. So if it does happen, it's, it's a shame, it's tragic, all those things. But I think I'm trying to live my life as in, you know, live today. I have kid, three young kids, I have a wife, trying to be there for them and all that stuff. And right now I have no issues. You know, I mean, I think intellectually, you got to challenge yourself still, like um, learning another language, your, your, your mind games, reading. Um, learning a new skill, like all those things. I think when you retire at whatever, at what age that is, people tend to, well, some people tend to just um, let it ride, like sit on a couch, whatever it is, but not challenge themselves like they once did. And I think that might be a mistake. Um, I think again, exercise, all those things definitely play a role. 
you know, obviously I follow you on Twitter and I, I mean, you're living the life, man. I'm going to tell you something, man. You, you know, it's great to see you out doing the things that you're doing with your children and all the traveling that you're doing. Speaking of traveling, all right, all my right. German, my German friend, okay. I got it. I got a, uh, ein Frage for Z. All right. Okay. Um, how about that? I dropped a little German on you right there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that means I have a question for you. All right. Germany is now become again, because at one time when you were coming out, Germany was the hot property in all of the world for the NFL. I mean, there was more interest. Uh, we had, we had uh, the new head of the uh, NFL in Europe on the show a week ago. And he talked about, they feel there are 3 million hardcore, not casual NFL fans, no hardcore NFL fans in Germany. Now, we talked earlier about Seabass's school of German. So we're going to expand a little bit. You're going to become a conglomerate today. Oh, and, it's, right. and it's going to be Seabass's travel palooza for Deutschland. All right. All right? Okay. All right. So you know that the, what's coming is that the uh, cities in Germany will have an opportunity to bid to become an NFL host city, much yep. like London. All right. So what I want you to do is go around. I'm going to name some cities in Germany, and then I want you to okay. give me your best selling points for why the NFL should go to that city. And we'll start with the oldest okay. city that uh, has a football history in Germany, Frankfurt. Okay. Tell me about Frankfurt and why the NFL should go to Frankfurt. I mean, it's kind of right in the middle with the old Frankfurt Galaxy. I think that's a big draw there. Um, quite honestly, it's actually not a bad place because, um, like, the surrounding areas with the big football population, they're probably in driving distance of two to three hours. So they would drive a lot of um, fans there quite a bit. I think just location is pretty good. It's almost right in the middle. Okay, they have a stadium that could that would be good enough. They do have a stadium, um, a soccer stadium. It's good enough, definitely. Big enough might be the question. Um, like from an owner's perspective. We talking ball yeah. stadium? Yeah. So it's like, can you, you know, I mean, I, whatever, like Patriots, let's say there's 70,000 people in, in, in Foxborough, but now you're bringing 50,000 people in there. I mean, that's a, that's a big cut to the wall at some point. So I don't know how that would work, but um, I think it's, I mean, they're, they're good. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a good city. It's a very Americanized city. I'd say, I mean, it's very industrial, very like, you know, a lot of banks um, um, are there direct flights for Americans if they wanted to come. I mean, that might be a good selling point, but I mean, I, I think those tickets will be sold out by Germans pretty quick. All right. Let's get in our, let's get in our uh, BMW and, okay. or, our, or our Mercedes and let's point North and head up the Audubon as fast as we can drive okay. to Cologne and tell me about why Cologne should have an NFL game. So I think that whole area would be would be pretty great too. So hey, first of all, I have a great beer. Um, people from Dusseldorf probably wouldn't agree right now, um, which is my hometown. But um, so they are. It's a big city, million people in there. But also they all have great stadiums just by you know the soccer clubs and I mean they all would work really well. Um, they are awesome people, extremely nice. Not that 
you know, I'm not, not sure how the, the, that relates to the actual football team, but I think they're a great host city. I think every American I've ever met that went to Cologne really loved the city. They're walking through there. Um, they, 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 they just love being there. I mean, it's something about the culture that, you know, I mean, it's the big beer tables. You just sit down, have your several little bratwurst and, 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 a, and a cold one and, you know, feel right at home. All right. Now we jump back in the car. We head about a half hour, 45 minutes yeah. north again to yeah. Dusseldorf, which is, again, where you played your yeah. junior football and tell, tell me why again that city should be a host city so when i first picked up football uh, football they um they had to do so ryan fire and those stadiums were packed i mean there were probably 40 50 000 people there it wasn't an event i mean that's 20 years ago they had no idea what football was but they were fascinated by it i think there is a still a great amount of people there i mean obviously do the panthers they, they they still have a local team there cologne does too and so does frankfurt i mean they all do kind of um but i think there is a um yeah just a great push also for the city i think quite honestly what they would probably should be doing is like somehow merge all the areas and get all these towns because like you were saying it's really not that far i mean it's literally across the rhine which is the river right there just bring them all together and like be a host city somewhere, but get the whole region involved and get even more people. But in the end, like from my perspective, we want the game to be over there. We want to grow the game. I want, like I've, football has given me, I mean, the most amazing life. If I can get one more person, if they want to RBC, to experience the same thing I experienced, I mean, what a blessing. I mean, I would say it all the time and, you know, I know you don't like talking about it, but you got me there to play right this is like a it's paid us forward this is a this is an incredible opportunity and quite honestly even if you're just a fan i think having i've never tailgated right but i think it looks like a heck of a time <laughs> like I, I just kind of feel like just having a sunday with your friends and family and doing those things yeah it'd be awesome it'd be really good tailgating in dusseldorf having those alt beers and, the, and a, like right? you say a bratwurst and let's go. <laughs> let's, all right. let's go all right we're gonna jump back in our cars we're gonna go straight east we're gonna get to hanover and turn north and okay. go to another German city with uh, with an NFL history, Hamburg. Why why Same. would Hamburg make a great host city? Same. I mean, all the ones you named so far, they all have still a great base from the old NFL Europe days. They have a local club team. Um, extremely nice people, like great host city, good fish sandwiches, if anyone cares. <laughs> but it's a, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's just an overall good place i remember like i was there probably a couple of years ago and we started uh flag football league and just the excitement those kids had just to play they, again had no idea really what they were doing but they all started the league they participated they got out and they're kind of just fans so i think it's just growing in all those places and again i think hamburg is definitely one of them that has a great old fan base that are that are looking for it all right now can you imagine can you imagine Raider Nation in the <laughs> Reaper Bond? Can you imagine wow. that? <laughs> wow. As, as for, 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 for your guys that don't know what that is, that is a street. Just look it up. Maybe don't. Don't. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't just don't. Just don't. Just turn the computer on. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it can get wild. I forgot about that part. Yes. Um, but I mean, just, yeah, no, stay away. Just, just, just stay away. Just. Just All right, we, we got back in our cars. We're heading southeast to the biggest city in Germany, yep. the capital, Berlin. Just saying, it's the biggest city, millions of people. Um, Olympia, 
was there. I mean, they know the host. I mean, it's as international as you can make it from the foods to, I always call it like the little New York. I mean, obviously it's way smaller and doesn't have all those things, but it kind of has a little bit of the same flair. It's, it's brand new, obviously got torn down by the war uh, long, long time ago, but like with the new buildings, everything they have done to that city. I mean, it's, it's beautiful, it's big. It has, I mean, the entire East really, you know, obviously it draws right there. Um, Berlin Thunder back then, again, great, great team base, but it's just, it's big. I mean, it's as big as it gets. So um, in Germany, at least. All right, you got, you got, you got time for one more trip. Okay. Right, I, hop, I do. Let's hop into Beamer and go Southeast, right? Yeah. And now we're down in Dunkeldeutschland at, in Munich. Tell me okay. about Munich and why, why they should host the team or host the game. Well, I mean, might as well stop by Oktoberfest. So, <laughs> so go make, make it a real good week. Um, now, it's again just um, we did in Munich. I went there with uh, we shot a couple of things, a couple uh, little clips with the NFL, and we were walking through um, like the big marketplace right there. And I mean, you just from being recognized to fans to I mean, you have a football in your hand, people will stop you. They will talk about it. They just love it. You can feel the eagerness in the air and i think that brought obj there a few years ago like two or three years ago he shut down marine plus it's like the, the the big market with a beautiful church right there and all those things i mean there were thousands of people he wasn't announced he just showed up i mean within minutes maybe 30 minutes i mean he was standing on top of a car and there were just people adam throwing stuff autographs pictures i mean it's like justin bieber came to town it is insane so they certainly have a love for football there and i mean but honestly, it's a beautiful city. But all those you just mentioned um, are very different and unique. I mean, obviously, oh. the Germans, they know they're there. So it's not really for Americans to go there because they got the games here. But it's, it's they're beautiful cities. Now, a little bird has told me that you're yeah. somehow involved in this whole process. Now, is it, what's going on? Can you give us any information? Well, I mean, it's, I think it's always been my mission. Um, and a lot of the former guys' mission to get the game over well, international. Obviously, I'm from Germany, so my my uh, my push certainly is, is for that for that country itself. So um, we want, like I was saying, that we from when I started playing pro in '09, we have seen the growth. And you mentioned it earlier, just from which helped with TV. Like I mean, they're on you know regularly on TV. Well, all the, well not all the games, but most of the games are uh, on TV. So the, the fan base has grown. Um, in really I just want to give back and I think there's a lot of German a lot of German players that can fo that can play football I mean you've seen them they're big they're strong I mean they, they, they're coming and now in the league they're, they're, they're way more I started and I might have been one or two during that time and then slowly more and more came and now I mean it feels like there's a bunch yep and so the, the same goes with the fandom so certainly the push is getting it over there and there's a certainly it's for sure happening we don't know what city is so they're making a case for themselves so I think it's going to be a, an interesting progress um, to watch, but the process of them doing it, I think it's even interesting. I think there are going to be some media releases. I think that's going to be for the fans something to look forward to. And when you know when we're coming, I think it's going to be a show. You know, and coming with you know, a couple of airplanes and and uh, Raider Nation or whoever is coming to town, and, you know, we'll, we'll keep deliver. Them, keep them out of the Reaper bond, please. Yeah, hey, yeah, right. um, now I get asked all the time all the time for people they say tell me about a great football movie give me a great football book to read talk about your book talk about your book um so it's 
certainly it's somewhat more of a biography, but there's a little bit more to it than that. It's um, it gives you a little bit of an insight to the Patriots organization, but it's also, uh, I mean, really, the title says you know it's the the story of my NFL career, and it starts off short, but it starts off in Dusseldorf, Germany, all those things, and kind of guides you through. And I think it just gives you some of the coverages that the media really doesn't pick up and, and just inside stories and funny. I mean, it's all of it, right? How to, how to deal with injuries, the funny moments, the great moments, the not so great moments. This kind of gives you an overall idea of what an NFL life really is. My okay. NFL life really is. Uh, how, how can somebody get a copy of it? Uh, just go to Amazon. It's probably the easiest way to do it. And, you know, it's called German Champion and uh, you can just order it right there. All right, that's it. Now, again, he's real. As you can tell, my man is is humble, but it's a great book. Uh, Sebastian Sebastian shared it with me at the Super Bowl in Miami a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, it, you know, again, it's a fantastic book. And for a father to give to a son, a father to have for himself, uh, you know, a, a father to give to a daughter, it doesn't matter. It's a great book about life and about his experience in the National Football League. And I recommend it, recommend it completely. Totally highly. Michael, come on out here. We got to get some questions to the big man before we turn him loose. Hello, Sebastian. How's it going? A couple of questions here before we let you go this morning or this afternoon. Uh-huh. Uh, Fred in Ireland says, obviously, Sebastian, not many Europeans make the NFL and even fewer make it to the Super Bowl, let alone win it two times. Uh, you know, for you in Germany and Europe, what do people in Germany and Europe make of your career? Are, are you now maybe stopped in the street by the old NFL fan? Uh, or what's that been like for you? Um, yes, I know me having lost 80 pounds certainly helps. Um, it's not quite as freakish, you know, anymore when I, when I walk through there, but, um, yeah, it depends on the setting. It depends on where I am. Um, but it it happens less and less, which is personally, um, I enjoy, you know, I have my three kids. I enjoy just walking with them and having a good time. And, um, but like I said, I, I mean, the offensive lineman life, it's the best I can imagine because you kind of, you get to experience it all. But you're kind of in the in the shadows a little bit, you know. Tom Brady can't walk. I don't know. He can't get his own <laughs> gas because he's been, been run down by fans. I don't know if <laughs> We've got one last question here as well, Jeff, uh, for Sebastian. So this is from the full ten yards team in the UK. Did anybody ever manage to pull off a team training prank on Bill Belichick? Has Bill ever carried out a prank, uh, or is he as strict as everybody thinks in that sense? Also depends on the situation. I think Bill's a funny dude. Um, maybe not, you know, Super Bowl week. Well, actually, yeah, maybe he was. But it, again, probably doing game day, maybe not. Has he pulled up? Yeah, so I don't think he pranked a lot of people. He was pranked a couple of times, but I think those things. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yo, come on, one. Just one. Can do it. Can do it. Just uh, uh, invite me. Uh, let me. Let me say this. Invite Matt Light to your show and let him spill the beans if, <laughs> if he has any, anything to say. So he All might right. have you, been involved. You send me Matt's number and I'll get Matt on the <laughs> show and, and okay. we'll see about that one. But I will tell you this, fans. There is a, again, go to YouTube and you can find this. Because one of the things that Belichick will do on occasion, and Sebastian's right, he is very funny. He's dry humor, but very, very yeah. funny guy, right? Is he will heat up the jugs machine, which is the machine that they use to shoot balls in the air for the punt returners to catch, right? And I mean, these balls go up in the air now. And he will pick a big guy and go, he'll put him out there and he'll say, if you catch it, no sprints today. So you got 
65 or 85 guys in training camp that are dying and it's hot and they can get out of sprints and conditioning if the big fat guy can catch the ball. Well, guess who got that opportunity one time? You want to walk us through that whole experience? So it was even worse uh, or better either way. So it was, um, you would get the night off. So you didn't have to go to the hotel. The night no off. And no uh, meetings after practice. So I would say it's 4, 4 p.m. If you catch the thing, you're going home to your wife and kids. You're not going, you know, stay another five hours and go to a hotel and all that stuff. So he's like, Balmer and Pryor, who was uh, the other fat guy, was like, you don't catch it, there's another chance. So I'm going up there, and um, <laughs> I remember Scott oh, looking at me and was like, wait a second, wait a second. How did he pick you? Like, how did he just, he said, all right, well, after the, the clip you're talking about, so I'm going to get to that after. But so he's like, oh, I was like, I was like, okay, oh, maybe he thinks I got hands. Maybe I'll go be a tight end. And so they punt the ball. I get it. Oh, Scar's looking at me. He was like, hey, because the coaches would have gotten off too. Would, have, would get off too. So he looks at me. Hey, uh, if you don't catch this, I will effing kill you, right? I got it. So uh, punt the ball. I end up catching it. A bit all wobbly, but it didn't, didn't drop on the ground. I got it. I mean, everybody goes nuts. We all go home. Anyway, so a couple of years later, NFL Network was there. They had the whole thing filmed, and they uh, filmed Bill as he walking away. And he's like twirling his uh, his whistle, and he's like, "Never would have thought he would catch that." <laughs> so I was like, he wasn't mad. Like, no, he really didn't want me to do it, but he said, like, "Hey!" And then people come up to him. It's like, "Is this for real?" It's like, "Hey, I told you. If he catches it, you're up." So everybody got a couple brownie points. So it was a good rookie moment for me. But, hey, uh, you must have been the hero of camp, boy. Oh, that was, was great. I mean. But again, it's like, while funny and all that stuff, he does prepare you for big moments. It's like, hey, I mean, you got to deliver. Block Freeney right now. It's fourth and 10. I mean, do your thing. And that's all part of it, all part of the madness. And I mean, quite honestly, but it, it helped me kind of stop, not establish. But again, as a rookie, you do get a little brownie points. People are thankful and all the things. And, and uh, it was great. It was a cool experience. Well, my man, I tell you what, one of the coolest experiences I get in doing this show is having the opportunity to, to stay in contact with guys that, that – uh, that I love, and, and you're one of those guys. Always will be. I appreciate it, Jeff, very much, very much. Right. Anytime. Well, thank you very much for being on the show, and, and again, we'll, we'll grab you down the road. And uh, I just got this feeling. I don't know where I got it, but I got this feeling that you're going to be deeply involved in this NFL Germany thing, and I think that's awesome. I appreciate that very much. Sure, we'll see we see more from each other. I think we right. got it. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. Thank you. You too. This is the 55th edition of this show. And when it's a special number, you got to bring out a special dude. And we have got a special one for you today. Uh, you Denver Bronco fans will remember him as, long, as well as Minnesota Viking fans and everybody in the NFC North when he ran roughshod over the NFC North in his Pro Bowl year with the Vikings. Byron Chamberlain, tight end out of Fort Worth, Texas, my man. Yeah. Fort Worth, Texas for high school. All right, now, I, I, you know what? I, I do my work. This thing is not scripted, but I do do some research, just a little okay. research. And what shocked me, B, is you were born in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, I, I was about to say that my story starts as far west in the U.S. as you can get, Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, born there, you know, grew up there, and... Um, and, you know, loved it there. From there, we moved to San Diego, California, 
and um, and then eventually uh, we settled in Fort Worth, Texas. A lot different from those first two places, uh, but it was great moving to Texas for one for one thing and one thing only. As a, as a kid in Hawaii and and in San Diego, you know, I was all about you know the water sports. I was at the beach every day, um, and uh, I played a, I played a little baseball and, and played some golf growing up. Uh, but when I moved to Texas, I got introduced to this game they call football, man. And and if you know anything about Texas, <laughs> high school football is on a whole nother level. And, uh, you know, I was a kid. I wasn't the biggest kid, but I, you know, I had a little size on me. I was athletic and, and you know, coaches saw me. And they're like, hey, hey, kid, you're coming out for football. I never hey, played good before, idea. but I... I'll tell you what, brother, it's a good idea that you did because I do know this about you, that at the time you were a high school senior in Fort Worth, you were one of the, and maybe the, highest recruited receiver in the state of Texas. And to say yeah. that is saying an awful lot because yeah. everybody comes to Texas to recruit. You know, you know, the thing about it was, like I said, I, I played uh, – I, ninth grade was my first year of high school. That was my first year playing football. Uh, my very first game, um, we, I, I told our mutual friend, Nick Ferguson, this story. Uh, my very first game, I'm out there with, you know, these kids who have grown up playing football. I run the opening kickoff back 95 yards, straight <laughs> up the middle. Looked like Forrest Gump running. No moves, no nothing, running straight. But 95 yards on my very first play, the very first game I ever suited up for. Uh, and so I just had a lot of success, a lot of early success and, and, and grew in the game of football. And by the time I was a senior, I uh, was the number two receiver uh, in the state of Texas, which is a big deal. The number one guy was a guy named Kevin Williams, who wound up signing at the University of Miami and playing on those Dallas Cowboys uh, teams that won uh, three Super Bowls in the 90s. All right, now tell me something. When when you make this move from San Diego to Fort Worth, right? Ain't no water around you. <laughs> just, <laughs> just flat north, flat north Texas all around you. But yeah. as a kid, like, did you have any, did you have, was there any way of being ready for what you were going to experience in Texas high school football? Because I've been to Allen to watch a high school game and there's 50,000. 50,000 yeah. people yeah. in the stands. Yeah, and there's no there's no way, you know. And I I had I had no clue what I was getting in my, myself into and, and and let me let me let me take you back because this is the this is the mid 80s now, okay? So it's a, it's still a little bit of old school and and back then you'd come in you'd come into uh training before schools even started. And you had 4 weeks of two a days <laughs> in the state of Texas before school even started. So you'd out there in that hot Texas sun doing two-a-days, uh, trying to make the team. And, and they really, back then, they didn't care. Like, you competed against everybody. So you were just a big mass of, of people. You could be a freshman. You could be a junior. You could be a, a senior out there. And, and there was nothing for you to be competing against a guy who's a junior and, and you're a freshman. And it was all about making the varsity team. So that's what two-a-days was about back then in the state of Texas. And if you didn't make the varsity, then you got relegated to the JV or, or the freshman team. But it, 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 was a it was the real deal. It was the real deal. And back then, if you're in that hot Texas sun and you're, you're in pads every day. 
and you're hitting every day. And it was like, who's the toughest? That's I remember that was the, the mentality. Who's the toughest? Let me find the, the toughest 45 kids out here to be on the varsity. Man, I tell you what, that is so true. And it is so hot in, in Dallas and in or in North Texas in, in August. And you're yeah. probably out there, they're probably making you take salt tablets and no water and the whole thing back All in the days. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, all right, now. I haven't I've heard, heard that salt tablet in a years, see, but see, yes. Yeah. You, you have to be, you had to have gone through that to understand that. Mm -hmm. hey, yeah. hey, man, uh, I've heard you say this, but I think it's a great story, and I want you to recount it because as the number two high school player in Texas, obviously you got offers from every place in America. I mean, yeah. because everybody comes in there to recruit there, but you choose to go to the University of Missouri, which shocked a lot of people frankly at that time yeah you know i was um you know i think back then and this is i, I graduated in 89 um you know the university of miami was definitely on my radar that's when the u was definitely the u uh, uh you know ucla was high on my list um being recruited by texas um uh you know all the texas schools uh i, I told this story the other day uh barry switzer uh, from Oklahoma, he came to my high school, and I was like, Coach Switzer, you got a great program, but you're wasting your time because you guys are throwing the ball three times a game, and I ain't coming to block for no triple option. But so you know, but but yeah, like you're right. Every you know, every school, uh, big it was a big eight back then, um, big 10 schools, Pac 10 schools, um, you know, it, and I was a, I was a really uh, good student as well, so you know, I qualified. Uh, academically, so schools didn't hesitate to come. Uh, was it whether it was Stanford, UCLA, um, God, I think uh, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan State, Iowa. I'm just thinking of some of the uh, Oklahoma State, some of the schools that that you know were really interested in me uh, from around the country, not just just in Texas. So you choose Mizzou. Why yeah. Mizzou? <laughs> so. Um, Here's my thing. Uh, one of the things, if you know me, I love to travel. I love going places I've never been before. So I put that as a requirement for a school that, uh, that I wanted to go to. I, it had to be in somewhere I'd never been before. Uh, Missouri fit that qualification. Uh, growing up, I was, I was very interested in, in majoring in broadcast journalism. Uh, Mizzou was the number one journalism school. It still is a great journalism school. Uh, but the final reason, the football reason was I had to go somewhere that I knew, um, had a progressive offense and that was going to throw the ball around. And, um, and I had watched these coaches, um, at the university, they were at the, uh, uh, Texas El Paso and they got the job and they recruited me to Texas El Paso, but they got the job at, at Missouri. And I saw what they did at Texas El Paso, which is, is definitely not a football school, but they went 10 and three there and, and won a bowl game. And that was the first time in forever that the University of Texas El Paso had done anything like that. And the way they were throwing the ball around, you know, they, they played an exciting brand of football. So I get there and I meet these, this coaching staff and there were, there were some, there were some great young coaches on it. Uh, my offensive coordinator was a guy uh, named, by the name of Dirk Cutter. Uh, who was came went on to become an NFL coach. My my receiver coach was was a guy named Aunt Marty Morningwig, 
who was the NFL head coach with the Detroit Lions and uh, uh, just a great offensive mind. And the other great offensive mind we had was our offensive line coach, uh, a, a guy people might know, a guy named, by the name of Andy Reid, who, who, who can coach him up. Andy can coach him up now. Uh, but I met Andy when I was 16 years old, man, and, and I love that guy, and, and he's doing a great job uh, in Kansas City. Unfortunately, unfortunately, beating my Broncos every every game, but 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 um, I looked at that staff and and the way that you know got to sit down with them and talk ball and and the thing the things they wanted to do with me, how they wanted to use me, and and how they just wanted to throw the ball around the yard, and I was like, man, these these are some great young coaches, and um, I, I want to be with these guys, and that and and the coaches for the most part was really the the thing that sealed the deal for me as far as going to Missouri. Well, you know, it's amazing when you think about it, man. That's three NFL head coaches because Marty was the head coach in Detroit. And and Andy's had two jobs. He's had Philadelphia and Kansas City and Dirt. On that staff at Missouri at that time, that bunch of coaches. And I believe on the defensive side of the ball, Kenny Flagel was coaching. Yeah, Ken Flagel, yes. And and he he was one of the guys that, was very active in my uh, recruitment, Coach Flagel, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I like to give myself credit for being a great judge of, of talent for coaches because, <laughs> no, I really did recognize when I got to sit down with those guys and we got just talk ball, um, I recognized these guys, these guys are good. These guys are special. Uh, and I really didn't have those type of conversations with any other, you know, schools that I visited. Uh, and and just how just innovative they were and how forward thinking they were, you know. I and let me let me let me tell this one story uh, that you know everybody runs it now, but that wide receiver screen where the receivers out wide, he comes in and gets behind the line and all the blockers. We were running that in 1989 at the University of Missouri, and I like to think we they those guys invented that play, and yeah. that play was unstoppable back then. We get in four wides and. And we bring that outside receiver in and, you know, the line would throw and go yep. and pick up guys. And uh, we, we, we used to, we used to score a lot of touchdowns on that. Should have, should have beat the university of uh, Colorado on that fifth down game. That was the play we ran for the, for the, what should have been the game winning touchdown, but we know hey, how that ended. Hey, you know, they say, football is a small world and it really, really is because you mentioned Marty Morningwick and Marty, was my quarterback at the University of Montana. Montana, yeah. Yeah, and was a great, I'm telling you, you talk about it, little sawed-off squatty guy like him was a great college quarterback. I mean, he was really, really good. Hey, so seventh round, the draft comes, you get the call, and it's the Denver Broncos on the line, and a very, very good Denver Broncos team. What'd you think when the call came? So, you know, the thing is, of course, you get all these reports and Mel Kuyper's telling you, oh, you're going to go at this round. And, and all the experts are telling you where you're going to go. And, you know, some guys had told me, you know, that I should be uh, around the third or fourth round, be looking for a call. Uh, I think the highest somebody had said had had me like it was in the second round. So I knew I wasn't going to go first round. But realistically, I thought, OK, third or fourth round, that, that's where I'm going to probably land and and you know you're waiting all that time and you don't hear from anybody um 
And the conversations had started with my mother and my family uh, to my agent. Hey, what are we going to do? What's the plan if he doesn't get drafted? And uh, at that point, I hear my name called uh, on ESPN. And then the phone rings. And it's Mike Shanahan. And he's saying, hey, you know, we just picked you. And uh, we're excited to have you here with the Denver Broncos. And uh, for me, man, it was just, it was exciting. It was literally like, okay, somebody wants me, you know, the Denver Broncos, they want me. They actually picked me. They want me. And so I was, I was excited. I wasn't, you know, I know a lot of people get disappointed that they weren't drafted as high. I was just excited to have my name called. I knew what a, what a honor and a privilege that was. And I didn't take that for granted. And so, um, you know, really just celebrated with my family and, and, and my agent at the time and, and was just, you know, waiting to, to get to Denver for that opportunity to, to get going. Now, when you show up in Denver, they got a pretty good tight end hanging around that yeah. place at that time too, Shannon Sharp. So, I mean, when you, when you looked at it, your seventh round pick, 200 whatever guy pick. 22nd, did, 222. Did, did, did you use that as motivation? to prove that you could, that you belong, that you could, that you, I mean, you, you had a great NFL career now. And yeah. You know, for, so, so here's the, here's the deal. I was drafted as a receiver. So I, I, I came in as a receiver uh, and we had, you know, Anthony Miller, who was a, a great receiver. He came over from the chargers. He's a guy that had like five straight 1000 yard receiving years. Um, then we had uh, a, 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 some young receiver, Rod Smith, yeah. who was, to me, the greatest undrafted receiver in NFL history. The numbers prove that most catches, most yards, most touchdowns by an undrafted guy. Uh, was McCaffrey, McCa I was going to say, was McCaffrey, McCaffrey there at that time? Yeah. Ed McCaffrey was there. Um, and then we had uh, uh, Willie Green, who just came over from Carolina. And also Mike Sherrard, who I, I grew up watching. The I was kid a kid from UCLA. When he was at UCLA and, and first rounder by the Cowboys. But so we had all these receivers. And, you know, I, I, I was, I was a bigger guy. I still could run, but Mike, uh, in his, his, his thing, he pulled me in his office and said, Hey, you know, you remind me a lot of, of Shannon Sharp. And he was a bigger receiver too, that we made it into a tight end. So, um, and, and just so happened that Sterling and Shannon were two guys that I followed. I followed him and his brother. Uh, they were, they were a couple of my favorites. So when they, they did that, I was literally, my locker was down with the receivers. And so, when Mike asked me to, to move to tight end, I was all for it. I was just wanting to keep a job. But the, the thing that I did, you asked me what did I use it for motivation. What I really did was I went to Doug West, who was the equipment manager. I said, Doug, they just moved me to tight end. Can you put my locker right next to Shannon Sharp's locker? Smart because man. I was like, listen, this guy is doing what on a very high level, on a Hall of Fame level, what I want to do. So he's going to be my mentor, whether he likes it or not, whether he knows it or not, I'm going to sit there and learn, you know, everything I can. So put my, so he put my locker right next to Shannon. I was, I was next to Shannon for six years, uh, beginning of my career, man. And, and you talking about being a sponge, but the other part of this was, was Shannon. He was so gracious and he's, I'll tell you, I'll tell anybody this, man the greatest teammate you could have. And really? Shannon said, hey, man, they drafted you to kind of replace me. 
And if you're that good, I'm going to teach you everything I know because you could help us win a Super Bowl. Those are his exact words. And you don't, wow. you know, you, you coached in, in professional ball. You don't get that a lot. You uh -huh. don't get guys wanting to help other guys and say, oh, I'm going to help you and I'm going to I'm going to mentor you and I'm going to give you everything I got because you can help us win a Super Bowl. And But that was Shannon's attitude. But the other thing was his attitude that I watched, too, was he's so competitive that he was never going to let me surpass him. He was never going to let me outwork him. Uh, it, it motivated him, I think, and really took his his uh, his career to a Hall of Fame level after that. All right. Now, you guys win two there. Right. And okay. you mentioned you mentioned some of the offensive players. You had Slareth and Naylor. I mean, you had great players oh, my on goodness. offense. But then you go over the defensive side, and there's Trevor Price, Maatanavasa, uh, Romanowski. I mean, mm -hmm. Alfred I'm Williams, Neil Smith. I, unbelievable. Uh, I'm trying Steve to. Steve Atwater. Who was the little corner that you had? Because I was in Kansas City in 2001. Ray Crockett. Yeah, Ray, Ray Crockett was great. Ray Crockett player. was a great leader on our team, and he wasn't the biggest guy. But, you know, that was the one of the things that reason we were so successful. And you asked me about this earlier. We had great leadership on that team. I mean, you know, a guy like Steve Atwater, a guy like, uh, uh, you know, Ray Crockett, Bill Romanowski, uh, Neil Smith, who had came over from Kansas City, Alfred Williams, who was a great player at the University of Colorado. Uh, you, you mentioned Trevor, Ma Tanovasa, Mark Slara, Tom Nalen, uh, God, uh, Gary Zimmerman. Oh, God. you know, what's, what's crazy is Gary gets kind of lost sometimes because he was so quiet. But Gary's a Hall of Fame left tackle and one of the best the game's ever seen. Uh, of course, the guy, you know, pulling the trigger, Elway. Uh, yeah. And then we had, a, we had a pretty decent running back by the name of Terrell Davis <laughs> as well. Terrell, he, can, he could get you a couple yards there. All right, now. I'm going to put it on you, right? There's okay. been, I don't know how many Super Bowls. There's been 50-some Super Bowls, I guess it is. Where do you guys rank in the history of best teams? Because that, oh, I, I, yeah, you got to yeah. be, be in the conversation. Yeah, I, I think we got to be in the top conversation. I'd probably put us in anywhere in the top five to top seven. Super Bowl champions of all time. And, and I, because, I, you know, when I run down that roster and the Hall of Famers that are on that roster, well, not just the Hall of Famers, guys who are low round draft picks that are Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, at, at one point on offense, we only had one first round draft pick starting for us, and that was John Elway. Uh, wow. We had Terrell Davis, who was a six rounder, who was a Hall of Famer. Shannon Sharp, who was a seventh rounder, that was a Hall of Famer. So, we, we had really a Rod Smith undrafted. Ed McCaffrey was a third rounder. Mark Slareff was a 12th rounder. Uh, Tom Nalen, uh, who should be in the Hall of Fame, seventh round, seventh rounder, all pro center. Like, so you look at that. And then I look at our body of work, man. We went and, and we, we truly, we went 13 games that year before we lost our first game. And, and there were talk and thoughts of, you got three games left. You could possibly go undefeated and be, be the, you know, at the time would have been the second team other than the 72 Dolphins to go undefeated. Right. Uh, 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 we, we know that didn't happen, but the way we uh, just really just dominated teams, whether it was, you know, with our running game with Terrell Davis or if it got, and with the funny thing is we played that Super Bowl against the Falcons and they said, okay, we're going to stack the box and we're going to stop Terrell <laughs> Davis. You're doing that, and you're putting the, the game in the hands of John Elway, yeah. one of the greatest ever. 
And good he luck. threw for what then at the time it was what the second most yards in Super Bowl history, and he walks away his last game with the MVP. Uh, just however you wanted to do it, we could do it. Uh, we could run it down your throat. We could we could give the ball to John and say, John, throw it around the yard and let's let's go. And our defense to me was was the most underrated thing that we had, and they were good. And if you look in, in, in our playoff run, we, we, uh, we played the Dolphins. They scored three points. We played the Jets. They scored one offensive touchdown off a turnover where they got the ball on the one-yard line. And then we basically shut Atlanta out until two minutes left in the, uh, in the game before they scored their first offensive touchdown. The way they performed in the playoffs was, was, was something special. It, it it wasn't it wasn't eighty five bear special, but it was special. That's pretty good. That's pretty special right there. All right, now this this one this one I've been waiting to ask you okay. all day. All right, because I missed you by months because yeah. I was in NFL Europe with the Ryan Fire working for Galen Hall in ninety five when we, when we brought the league back. Then I left, and you came in there in ninety six. Now, mm-hmm. how did how did you get? Now, it wasn't just because you wanted to travel. How did you get to NFL Europe? So I was drafted in 95. And I remember I tell you, I was drafted as a receiver. Well, going into that, you know, after my rookie year, um, that's when Shanahan told me he wanted to, uh, he wanted to switch my positions to play tight end. And I had played a little bit tight end uh, during my rookie year, but I never was, I was always the stand-up guy. I never had my hand in the dirt. I was, I was always the, the motion man. Uh, we called it the second tight end, the tiger. So you're, you're, you're mostly the guy that's in motion or you're lining up in the slot, but you're, but you're a tight end um, or you're, you're lining up on the wing. Uh, and so he was like, you know, I want you to get some experience. And back then you could be, if you were assigned to an NFL team, you could be allocated by your team. And so the Broncos allocated me over there and, and it, it's a smart thing on there. It was a chance for me to, go and play some tight end, make my mistakes without costing the Broncos any, <laughs> any games or whatever. Cause uh, you know, I, you know, it was, it was a new position. It was my first time putting my hand on the ground and, 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 you know, from playing ball, like blocking as a receiver and blocking as a tight end, two different animals. Yep. And when you got that defensive end on the seven technique lined up and you got to move him out the way on your own, uh, you know, that, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother deal. You thought you were back in back in Fort Worth and finding out who's the toughest. You got to go exactly. get in there and do that. Hey, exactly. so so you go over there and you tear it up, and I mean tear it up. One of the things I found out about you was you led the league in receptions mm-hmm. and you scored you scored eight touchdowns in ten games. Yeah, nine and nine and ten. But but the thing that was surprising to me, Byron, and you did this numerous times in your in your NFL career, you averaged 12 yards of reception. And that's yeah. big, that's big for a tight end, especially yeah, in those yeah. days for a tight end. So yeah, I was go ahead. I'm sorry. So when you look at your career now and you see what they're doing with tight ends today, how what kind of numbers could you hang today? <laughs> oh my goodness, man. I would love, I would love uh I would love to be in the league right now, especially with the way the rules are written now, as far as, you know, the thing about it was back then, that's how you earned your stripes as a tight end 
was catching that ball across the middle and taking that hit and knowing that somebody like Derek Brooks or, or uh, you know, John Lynch was coming to tattoo you. And that's how you gain respect with your teammates. That's how you gain respect around the league. And the way the rules are written right now, it's like they, they've taken all those big hits across the middle. So I think I could have done some damage. There was one year where I, I led our entire team uh, with I, that goes at 15.7 yards a catch. Yeah. Um, and definitely led every tight end in, in the NFL. Uh, but that was my thing. I could get down the field, make something happen. Uh, whether you want to run me down the seam, run down the post, or work, just work the middle. Uh, but the other part about that was, and we did a lot of this in Denver, is we, we ran a lot of two tight end sets. And naturally, when you go two tight ends, the defense goes heavy. They bring in the extra linebacker. Well, you had guys like me and Shannon Sharp, and we'd spread those guys out. And you know, you got all these linebackers on the field trying to cover in space. And then, you know, I think we were we were one of the first teams to really take advantage of athletic tight ends like that. Now that now that's just the game. Yeah. You know, you got guys like Travis Kelsey playing wide out, basically. You got, you know, uh the the kid in uh, San Francisco, uh, yeah. who I love. I absolutely love him. Uh, George Kittles. Um, yeah, uh, the kid from uh, the Raiders, Waller. Yeah. Uh, and these guys are, are athletic guys who can run, who can who can take advantage of those mismatches. So if you're going to bring that extra linebacker on the field, you're going to have problems. Okay, now let's let's talk let's talk about a tight end, right? And he's the guy that everybody coveted in the draft. And I he you know he probably is as close to what you were coming out of Missouri as there is today, Kyle Pitts, the, the first round draft pick. Of yeah, the Falcons. Yes. <laughs> what, what's the, what's the ceiling for him? What do you think his ceiling? I is? mean, you know, the thing about it is, and everybody talks about, well, he, he doesn't block. He's a, man, that's not the game anymore. That's not the game. Literally when I came in the league, you know, guys were playing tight end at 270, 275, and they were extra tackles. Now you want the guy that looks like him who can run 4-4, who, who, and they'll teach him. They'll teach him how to block, and they'll, they'll, they'll put him on, 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 on the backside of runs and, and let him block linebackers. But when he, he is an absolute matchup nightmare. And what do you do? do you, you, I mean, you're going to bring a, a smaller guy who's a, a, a third or fourth corner end of, to, to, to cover him because that's what you're going to have to do to speed-wise to keep up with him but he's going to muscle that guy all day in the running game. Um, yeah. Are you going to bring in a, a safety? And with most safeties, uh, you know, they, they're more run supporters. They may be strong as him, but they're not going to be able to run with him. They're not going to be able to follow him uh, all around the field. And, 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 you know, I remember something we used to do um, when you go one with, with, with one tight end and three wides, you put those three wides on one side and put that tight end on the, over there by himself. You're going to put your number one corner on him. And, and, and now you got your number two or three corner on your starting receiver, or are you going to walk that linebacker out there, let him cover pits one-on-one? You're, it's like I said, matchup nightmares. There's so many things you can do with this guy. And I, I think, I think he's the next superstar waiting to happen uh, at, right. at the tight end position. All right. Now for, for our Bronco fans out there, and we got a ton of them, right? Okay. They took Fant a couple years ago, mm-hmm. really, really high expectations for him to be, that big play athletic tight end. Where do you see him right now in his development environment? 
yeah, so he's shown some of that. He's shown some of that. I remember the catch he had on opening day. What was that, uh, last year? I remember the catch he had against Cleveland. Literally coming across the middle, catches it, and goes down the sideline almost 80 yards. Um, so he's shown some of that ability. I think the fact he, he's, he's struggled because of the development of the quarterback. Uh, I think that's kind of hurt him. Uh, and, and we can talk about that quarterback, too, because he's my guy, too. Uh, but, but you know, he, you know they didn't have a, a full offseason with the COVID thing. Uh, he only started five games a year before. So he's going to develop. But I think, I think as, as that quarterback develops, you'll see more and more out of Noah Fan. I, I love him as an athlete, mm-hmm. as a tight end. He's, he's big enough uh, to get it done in the running game as well. I think that's the, the, the glaring weakness of his game. Like, you got you to gotta get that cleaned up to be – you know, to considered like just an all around tight end. Right. The other thing, the other move that I like that the Broncos did was bringing in my guy from Missouri, Albert Okuebanon at tight end. And he, he got hurt this year, but uh, I think those two as a combo, as a two tight end duo, uh, they have potential to be the, you know, they, to be very, very special. I can see, I can see them using both of those guys, like the way Shanahan used me and, and, and Shannon Sharp at the same time. All right, now, let's talk about another Missouri Tiger okay. who has, has shown flashes, but yeah. he's also shown, shown flashes the other way. We got yeah. Drew Locke in his NFL career has is thrown 16 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. Yeah. Is, is he good enough? Is he the guy, Byron? Well, you know what? Let's, let's you know, because numbers, you can always – Look at numbers, but just let's look at his journey and to where he he is where he is now, because I think this is what will tell the tale. Um, he started five games his rookie year, the the last five games, came and played pretty decent. Um, uh, I think he went four and one in those five games. Uh, then you get uh, COVID right. comes, so you don't have the complete off season. Uh, you're really not working with your guys. It, it's hard. You know, you're a rookie now. It's your second year, but you're sitting at home doing Zoom calls, yeah. literally. Uh, you're not getting that on-the-field uh, connection with your re- receivers, your tight end. So he comes into the league. His number one receiver automatically, Cortland Sutton, goes down in training camp. His number one guy's out. You bring in Jerry Judy, who's a rookie. You bring in... Uh, KJ Hamler, who's a rookie, and you're asking these guys to step up and 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 be the guys. Well, they're rookies, you know. You, and we we all know just because whatever you did in college means absolutely <laughs> zero in the NFL. And so you're going to have a learning curve. You're going to have struggles. And I watched the game uh, games where you know Judy. I, matter of fact, when they played out here, the LA Chargers. Judy dropped at least four balls. He dropped one that was or two that were touchdowns. I never saw him do that in the, the at Alabama. Uh, but you know, you get into the NFL and those lights and the, it's a different animal. So I look at that with a grain of salt. I also look at all the injuries that was was had up, up front on the offensive line. Fast forward to now. Okay, he's had a he's had an entire offseason. He's got guys with that are now, you know, Judy Camler with experience now. You got uh, Sutton coming back. To me, 
this is the year that you really evaluate him and you really see what you got. And if he, if he, if he does not step up this year, this is where you got to start thinking about. And I see they, they brought an insurance policy in uh, Teddy Bridgewater, which, you know, I, I, I like that kid before he got hurt. Right. Um, and, and so, but to me, this is the year that is really good to me, going to make or break Drew Locke. And this is the year like, okay, you got all the pieces now. Your, your weapons have, have experience now. You've had an entire offseason to work with these guys. Your offensive line on paper is a little bit better than you've had. Now let's see, let's see what you do from here going forward. Now, I'm, let me say this, and I'm a little biased because I love the kid. I love the kid. He's a Missouri kid. His dad, Andy Locke, was my captain on my team. Is that right? Start, I didn't know that. Andy was our starting offensive guard, and he was a, a captain. He was a, a very uh, good player. He was a very reliable guy and, and a guy that was dependable. You knew exactly what you were going to get every time from Andy Locke, and he was a great leader. Uh, and, and so I'm partial to the kid. I want to see him succeed. And, and, and uh, I, I think uh, what they have, on offense, the weapons they have on offense, what they got coming back on defense, the kid that they drafted out of Alabama, Patrick Sertan, uh, played against his father. Um, Von Miller coming back healthy. Uh, uh, Chubb coming back healthy. Uh, some of the moves that they've made in the secondary. It's, it's, this, could be a, this could be a really good season for the Broncos. Let me just say, I'll be the first to go on record to say that. Now, right. the, the, now let me say this too. But you got Kansas City in that same division, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's going to be a it's going to be a tall task, man. Yeah, and that's always home, that's man. that's always been a great division. The teams that hate each yeah. other and great rivalries and all that. Michael, come on out. Let's got let's get a couple questions to be, or we'll be we'll keep him here all night. Yes, sir. Fellow Broncos not here, so I'm going to try and not be biased either. Uh, so I'll say no. And I, I love what you're saying, no, Brian. Uh, Byron, uh, there's a comment here from Fred, who's in Ireland, saying being, I think he sort of touched on it, but maybe if you want to add to it, being a seven-round pick and getting drafted in the 200s, uh, how much of a validation was it to win two rings? And how did those uh, wins set you up for your post-football career? Great question. Um, you know, it was. It was. It was always the goal of mine. You know, I, I, I set pretty small goals. Um you know, my first goal was just to make the team as a second, seventh round pick. Um, but, you know, to making the team and being an integral part of those teams that won the Super Bowl, it, it was it was validating. It was, uh, hey, man, not only do I belong in this league, I can excel, I can excel in this league. And um, and, you know, playing with the teammates that I, I, I mentioned uh, before, you know, all these all pros and hall of famers and to, to be competing alongside them and them depending on me, like it, it, it really made you feel validated. It made you feel good. Like, okay, yeah, I do belong in this league. I am one of those special type players. Great. Got another one. Yeah. We got, we got one more in the Broncos is from David in Cambridge in England. Uh, what are your thoughts on George Payton? I know you touched on Drew Locke there, but obviously a new year in Denver. I can't hear you. What was the sorry. question? I'm sorry. What are your thoughts on George Payton? Um, you know, I've seen the moves that they've kind of made, and I, you know, I don't think right now that they've made any bad moves. Uh, obviously, we we have to see how 
some of these transitions, uh, transactions work out on the field. Um, I, I think, um, you know, the best thing they did was, was try to shore up that secondary. Um, I think Patrick Sertan uh, is a, he's a special guy. He's a special player. And that's something that we lacked last year. Uh, no matter how much pass rush you get or don't get, uh, we just didn't have guys that were sticking to their mans and covering their guys. So I think he brings that. I think he's going to be a special player. Um, and and we'll, we'll see what, what the rest of the, the guys that we, we've made transactions and how the rest of these draft picks uh, pan out. See, I, I, you know, you've been really cool giving us a bunch of great time. Before we let you go, tell everybody what you're doing now. What, what, it, okay. what is Byron Chamberlain up to in out in L.A.? You, I, I, movie stars, big cigars, fancy cars, <laughs> and all. Uh, uh, not no movie star. I do have a fancy <laughs> car, but not a movie star. Um, you know, the thing that I'm doing now is I'm working for a, a couple different comp companies. Uh, one in particular is called Max Sports International. And we travel around the world and we introduce the game of, uh, when you go international, you got to say American football, American football, because football international is a different sport. But, but um, we, we do that. Of course, the pandemic kind of set us back, uh, but we were, we were doing a lot of good work uh, over in South America and Central America. Uh, right now, we're preparing to go to Africa. We're preparing to go to Uganda and Nigeria and work over there and and for us it's all about spreading the gospel of football man and i think it's the greatest sport ever invented um uh, and just uh trying to develop you know talent uh, around the world the thing is you know i think i look at the nba and what they've done with with their game and it's truly when you watch the nfl nba draft it is an international event and you got guys from croatia from France, from all over, being drafted into the NBA, and and they've done a great job of globalizing their game, and and that's what that we're kind of doing with Maxport International, just being ambassadors for the game, trying to develop our game, uh, and, and trying to grow it internationally. Well, come on over to Europe, help 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 I've us. I've been grow there. Our I've, I've, I've actually done some work. We did some work in uh, Canterbury, England, out over in the in Kent, so, uh, and uh, and we've done that. And uh, we worked uh, with Christ Church University yeah. over in, in Canterbury. We worked with some of the, the local, uh, you know, schools as well uh, with the football curriculum over there, so. Well, that's awesome, man. It's great to have guys that have, you know, gotten so much from the game, given so much back to the game. And I really, yeah, and, and I, that's, congratulations you know, Jeff, for that. that. Jeff, that's the biggest thing I tell people, man. I've learned so much from this game and literally this game uh, helped me uh, from a boy to become a man, you know? Uh, and I, I've started playing this game when I was 14 as, as a boy and, and, you know, until the age of, of, of 34, 35. So uh, I really learned a lot of lessons and those, those lessons, those things that you need to be a successful football player, to be a successful teammate, uh, are the lessons that I want to give uh, to, to, you know, kids around the globe. Keep doing it, brother. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming on today. Byron Chamberlain, all pro you, and Super Bowl champion. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. All right.